Hey, Rewatchers! This week we are going to be presenting another of the famed Adrian tapes. These are kind of Adrian's behind-the-scene commentaries on the production of Highlander the series. And this week we're going to be giving you Side B of Season 2, Tape 1, which involves further discussion of Adrian's favorite directors working on the Highlander series. Who are some of these directors, you ask? We got Paolo Barsman. Paolo. That's right. Paolo. Uh, <laughs> big, big friend of the show, Clay Boris. That's right. And they're going to be talking about some gags and goofs and stuff they did on the set. And Got any other good G words for us? Gags, goofs, gaffs. Gaffs. And yeah. ghosts. And ghosts. There's a spooky Ghouls. ghoul on set. Also, Adrian will talk about director Peter Ellis. So thank you again for joining us this week on the Highlander Rewatch podcast. We really hope you enjoy this Adrian tape. We'll see you at the end of the show. Paolo Barsman is actually one of our quietest directors, although you wouldn't believe it sometimes. Having grown up in France with French-American parents, he speaks French and English perfectly. In fact, he and Dennis Berry almost grew up together, but they're like chalk and cheese. His manner is that of a small schoolboy who's always smiling, and his way of directing is basically the way he is in real life. His style of filming is very European, and a lot of the time infuriates the producers because, well, he does no coverage in a scene and will shoot it all in one take. Although sometimes I agree with them, Paolo comes up with some ideas that really make a scene work, and he's changed the structure of a scene sometimes and has created something out of nothing. Paolo and I usually share the same boyish playfulness, that is to say, he's the first one to laugh when I make a subtle joke or a pointed remark that other people miss. And in turn, I do the same when his comments go awry to those around him. His first show that year was The Darkness, a real turning point for Highlander, with the death of Tessa and the immortalization of Richie. The two last scenes in the episode were probably two of the most powerful images of that season. The one of McLeod sitting alone in the antique store, and the second when McLeod walks outside, facing for the first time his new pupil and friend. The way these were shot, together with the music, were very reminiscent of a sad lullaby, and I think he portrayed the moments beautifully. Paolo's boyish quality also transforms itself into his sense of fun. He loves calling action, but he loves calling it in several different ways. Action. And sometimes, in whatever language, action. he feels is appropriate at the moment. Action. This also plays into how he sometimes directs the scene. The one that springs to mind in the darkness was the scene between Mac, Tessa, and Richie drinking champagne in the antique store. Although it was a small scene, I remember his enthusiasm when we came up with the idea of sitting on the catwalk discussing the opening of the store. A scene that reminded me of three children watching the world go by while sitting in their treehouse without a care in the world. It was a real treat when Paolo came back and shot Legacy because he'd done a good job on the darkness and I knew I could have fun with him. Legacy was a perfect show for Paolo to direct. It had a certain mythical quality and was full of humor with Elizabeth Grayson as Amanda coming back to cause McLeod more problems. Ladies, let's not be hasty. <laughs> Are you afraid? No, but you're a woman. And you're English. <laughs> well, he has a whiff, this one. Have you never been with a woman? Not in battle. There's always a first time. Paolo and I work well together. He would make a decision pretty quickly. 
as you can hear. That was, that was just... Turning on fire, take one. Now it's coming, it's coming off this way now. Tu veux que je la fasse comme ça, vers la caméra? And always remain focused in whatever language he had to speak. Paolo Wood, as other directors had before him on previous episodes, sometimes well, changed his mind about a scene just before he would rehearse it. Sometimes it was because we would give him suggestions, and sometimes, well, because he did an idea at the last minute. One of the reasons I liked Paolo also was because he was receptive to ideas such as, well, such as the last scene in the episode when Mac gives Amanda the crystal he had kept. Rather than keeping with the script that originally had Mac giving the crystal back and that's where it ended, I wanted to continue the scene a little bit and continue the idea that Amanda always had an agenda. Well, Paolo agreed. What do you think if we just went to Luther's and had a look? I knew it. I knew you were going after those crystals. Such a great idea. No. But look out, it's no. Look out, I think. No. I don't know, and neither of us will ever find out. Paolo came back once more that season to direct Counterfeit Part 1 and again did a good job. He'd now directed three episodes and would come back to do more the following year. He'd become one of our favorite directors, and as with Dennis the Menace Berry, Paolo received a nickname all of his own. I called him Paolino, but a lot of people began to know him as Mr. Kutsky. Odd, you might say. Well, yeah, but it was well earned. Trust me. The two jumps for my friend and I. <laughs> wait, wait. Two <laughs> <laughs> more jumps of wine for my friend. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> See what I mean? The only director from year two I can't talk very much about was a French director named Bruno Gontillon. I didn't get to know him very well because, well, he only directed one show, Warmonger. And although the show turned out quite well, it sometimes took too long to shoot. And his style was not quite what the producers had wanted for Highlander. So, he never came back. However, someone I can talk about is Clay Boris. And cut! All right. Great scene for us. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank a lot. That was Clay from the episode Revenge of the Sword. He was the director that season who shot the most episodes in the least amount of time. He shot seven episodes, of which five of them he shot in only six days. Clay and I had a strange relationship. We loved to tease each other. I remember in Revenge of the Sword, we were doing a scene where I was going to play with a Ming vase. The vase was to be shot and blown up at the end of the scene, and we only had three of them. So just to make Clay a little nervous, I pretended to accidentally drop what we told Clay was the last of the two remaining vases. <laughs> Clay, Clay, come here a minute. The, come here a minute. This, this just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't... Oh, you did this as a joke? <laughs> That's a good joke. Now what? Uh... <laughs> what do we to do? Oh, no. <laughs> Can we stick it back together? <laughs> do we have another one? Just a gag. That's a good gag. 
Clay was never short of an opinion. Guys, when you pick a berry, you gotta do a little bit like a tugging, okay? They don't come off as easy as you just did it. Okay? Partly because he was under so much pressure to get these shows in on time. And action! In fact, Clay's energy was ever present at the beginning. Action for camera! And at the end of a take. Cut. Beautiful. However, sometimes, because we had little time to shoot, we really had to move. Cut! Camera? Cut. Very good. Next. Sometimes faster than we wanted to. Cut! Okay, print, next. One thing that Clay allowed me to do was to call action on the scene for the very first time. Since he was acting in the same scene, I jokingly told him I would direct it. You gonna call action? Oh, yeah. Action. However, like any other actor, he just had to ad lib. All right. <laughs> nice fight scene, guys. Jimmy, you look beautiful, man. All beautiful. Right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. He did okay for a beginner. Oh. If you listen carefully, his name in the episode was Boris. And there was a reason for this. It started with an offset rivalry Clay had with another director. Yeah, you've guessed it, Dennis Berry. Dennis accidentally one day got Clay's first and last name mixed up and called him Boris. Not that that was unusual for Dennis because he makes up his own language and words all the time. Clay's reaction was to tell Dennis that he didn't like the name Boris as his first name. Dennis's reaction was to call him Boris all the time. Boris! Boris Clay! Where are you, Boris Clay? Clay's answer was to call himself a name he hated to immortalize it in Highlander history. Strange choice. But that was Clay. In Epitaph for Tommy, Clay's fifth show, I think he was wanting to get me back for all the practical jokes I played on him all year because it was actually his idea to hang me out of the window. I think he wanted to see how long I could stay in that position before I turned green. Well, my eyes popped out. Miss Honiger said to get ready, and she didn't much care how. So, you had a good time up here with me. Why don't you not don't shut up and let me go? I'm getting tired of your yak, 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 yak. Say please. What for? <laughs> Have a nice flight. You take your hand off the spell to see if I can go. Cut. Did you hear how long it took him to call cut? Well, I guess Clay always was up for a gag. Color of Authority was Clay's second to last show and turned out to be his best work, partly because he was enamored by the Western. <laughs> He had always wanted to direct one, but secretly, and not so secretly, he wanted to be in one. Well, in the flashback sequence, he had his dream come true. Jonathan Banks was not available to do a shot that Clay needed, which only required his back. So Clay was the first one to grab the duster off the coat rack, don his cowboy hat, and step in front of the camera. If you look in the show, the over-the-shoulder shots onto the young boy were all Clay Boris. As he stood there waiting to shoot the gun, and for action to be called, his fingers itched on the trigger. The duster blew in the wind, and Clay was ready. Everything now seemed to move in slow motion. Action was called. Action. He reached for the gun, firing before his opponent had touched his holster. His gun flew back to his resting place, and everybody ran up to him and said, Clay, what was it like? What was it like? Yeah. 
But last but not least of Ari Luster's directors of year two was Peter Ellis. Peter directed four shows that year that turned out to be, well, some of my favorites. Born and raised in England, he still maintained that English sense of humor together with a rather decisive nature. From the very first show, Studies in Light, Peter knew what he wanted and would even direct while the camera was rolling. There we go. And you're looking around. And looking around. And start to move up the staircase. And up you go. And up you go. And up you go. And up you go. And keep going and keep going to see his feet out on the left. As you can hear, Peter was never short of a comment or two. The thing I liked about Peter was that he was always willing to listen to an actor's idea and not necessarily come in with a preconceived notion of how a scene should be shot. I had a lot of fun with Peter right from the start because we shared pretty much the same sense of humor. And he was never short of telling us how he liked or disliked the scene. Excellent. By the time he got to filming The Fighter, one of my favorite shows that year, he seemed pretty comfortable with the Highlander routine. Just have your eyes open. Don't give me any sleep stuff or whatever. Just be looking. Just bring your head up a little bit, Adrian. That's it. And... But he was even more comfortable by the time we got to shoot Unholy Alliance. Maybe because of the fact that he was going to shoot both parts, the first in Vancouver and the second in Paris. But somehow his energy was different. Action! He seemed much more verbal. No, don't move camera. Don't move camera. Just, just right on his face. Okay? So, just do it again. Here we go. And action. But I think his energy was contagious, as you can hear. During the fight sequence in the warehouse, while Mac was fighting Xavier in Unholy Alliance Part 1, I think Peter was beginning to get a little carried away, either in the moment of the fight or in the fact that he'd met Dennis Berry too many times and he was trying to take a leaf out of his book. As you can hear in this next clip, I did to Peter what I usually do to Dennis when he starts ranting. Peter told me earlier in the season that he'd never shot a sword fight before, or even held a sword, and a couple of times when he picked up my katana, he seemed like a little boy in a toy store. I think this flowed over when he watched us film the fight, because there were a couple of times when he, well, he got excited from one take to another, to another. When Peter got to Paris and directed Unholy Lines Part 2, he found out just how difficult it was shooting with another crew speaking another language. You know, French and English never got on. I'm not quite sure where they built the tunnel. But Peter did try hard to fit in. That means cut in French. And on that note, all I have left to say is cut, because we've run out of time. So thank you, Dennis the Venice Berry. And Paolo Katsky Barsman, Peter the Brit Ellis, and Boris Clay, and Bruno Gontian, because without you guys, I wouldn't have made it through season two. I mean, your clear minded thinking, your opinions, your views, they all made sense. I just hope I didn't drive you too crazy. Wow, how fun and cool was that Adrian tape? <laughs> you really sold it that. It was yeah. so fun. So fun. And so cool. Guys, let's get actually excited. This 
was off the chain. <laughs> off the chain. It was off the chain. I hope all of you uh, enjoyed it, recorded it back onto the tape, and have a <laughs> tape deck that you can play it on so you could get the authentic Adrian tape experience. You That's get right. 500 Adrian Paul points if you actually play this on a cassette player. Mm-hmm. What can you use those Adrian Paul points for? Not our department. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's AP's department. Call <laughs> AP. There is points. <laughs> that's right. Uh, if this is your first time listening to Highlander Rewatch Podcast, make sure to hit us up on our iTunes feed or SoundCloud or Stitcher or Spotify and follow the rest of our shows. We update weekly with brand new Highlander content covering the film, the series, and all sorts of other cool Highlandery stuff. Record your own uh, behind-the-scenes commentary on our podcast. Send it to us. I'll we'll listen to it. I won't. I won't either. <laughs> I, uh, if you send me a behind-the-scenes commentary on the Highlander Rewatch podcast, I give you my solemn promise that I will listen to it. This is a blood oath from Eamon. You don't want to take this lightly. I'm cutting my hand as we speak. I'm getting blood all over Keith's floor. He's starting to pass out because he's a little squeamish around blood. (laughs) 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 Thanks again for joining us this week. We will see you next week with a brand new episode of Highlander Rewatch. We've been your rewatchers. I'm Keith. This is Kyle. This is Eamon. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.